1: Chapter 24, as as Randy read for us a little earlier, I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn there. We're going to begin today this uh, uh, a turn in Matthew chapter 4 as we look at how Jesus has been presenting himself as the Messiah. We have seen as he has asserted his authority over Jerusalem and how they have rejected him. Now we're going to look at the delay, the return, and the judgment of the Messiah. As we begin in Matthew chapter 24, I've titled this message, The Beginning of Birth Pains. Lord, we want to just ask for your grace this morning as we open your word. We want to come to it and understand fully what it means. So we ask for your Holy Spirit to have free reign. Work in our hearts as we listen. Let us listen with open spiritual ears ready to receive what you have. And Lord, I pray that you would bless all that went into the message. Allow me to speak uh, freely. Allow me to speak uh, boldly and, um, and truthfully what your word has. In your name we pray. Amen. Jesus knows that this is his last days before the crucifixion. Even though his disciples and others have accepted him as the Messiah that they have been looking for, that has been prophesied, the religious leaders have not. Not only have they rejected Jesus, but they conspired together to put him to death. And in Matthew chapter 21 to 23, we see that Jesus promises judgment on the religious leaders and all those that have rejected him, while promising reward to those that have embraced it. And go ahead and turn to Matthew 23, you're already in 24. Look at there, verse 37. O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not? See, your house is left you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus is mourning over Jerusalem as Jerusalem has hardened its heart against God. And we saw that that was something that Jerusalem had been doing for centuries. So now we come to chapter 24. And in it, Jesus here is walking around with his disciples and they bring attention to something. Look at verse 1. As Jesus left the temple and was going away, when his disciples came to him to point out to him the building of the temples... But look at verse 2, but he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you that there will not be left here one stone upon the other that will not be thrown down. You can almost imagine here as they're walking around, the disciples were very proud of the temple as of all Jews were. Remember, the temple was the center of the religion ever since Solomon built it. David wanted to, but Solomon, his son, was the one who eventually built it. That temple was destroyed, but yet Herod began to build one, actually, in Ezra's time. As we see that they started to build it, that one also was destroyed, and so what we're seeing here is kind of a rebuilding going on. The construction of Herod's temples began in the early 20th B.C., and it was still undergoing construction in 70 A.D. when it was destroyed. Historians have tell us that some stones were as big as 40 feet by 12 feet by 12 feet. We're talking humongous stones. The stones were gleaming white marble, and the whole entire western wall, the fa- face of it, was covered with gold plates so that as the rising of the sun would come from the east, it would shine on the temple, and of course then the gold would just reflect the glory of the sun. The temple to the Jews was the center of their worship. It was the place where God came and met with them. They were proud of the temple. It was the center of their identity, and so they're proud again, showing Jesus, look at all the stones, look at how beautiful it is, and Jesus turns around, And gives a devastating prophecy where he says, You see all these, not one stone will be left upon another. They could not imagine such a thing. So we asked, we see here in verse 3 that the disciples come and ask Jesus two questions. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives in verse 3, the disciples came to him privately, saying, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the close of the age? Now for us, we have to remember that the Jews thought that the kingdom of of the Messiah was coming fairly soon. And the fact that they had been looking for this. Remember, they're looking for the Messiah who would come and he would conquer the Romans, he would kick them out of the empire, he would set up his rule in Jerusalem, and then Israel would once again be a favored nation, and all the kingdoms would be judged for what they'd done to Israel. This is what they're looking for, but what they're finding here is that's not going to happen as immediately as they thought. See, in their mind, even though Jesus has told them three times that he has to go to Jerusalem, that he will be betrayed, and that he will die, they still have not grasped the concept of his death. They have no concept of the rejection of the Messiah by the rest of Jerusalem and the Jews. So for their mind, they're thinking, when is it coming? Are you getting ready to set it up? That's what they were excited for. But all of a sudden, Jesus says, no, this temple will be destroyed. And so for them, their mind must have been reeling here. Just a couple notes here when he says, when will your coming be? It's the Greek word parousia. It's found 24 times in the New Testament, four times in Matthew. And it means presence or arrival or coming. When will you arrive? When will you come? When will you set up your throne? The term close of the age is used six times in the New Testament, five of them are here in Matthew. And they look to the final judgment and the consummation of all things. So, when is it when you will come and set up your throne? When is it when you will have the final consummation, when the final judgment is coming? Jesus has been leading up to this in the previous chapters we saw. Well, many believe that that began at the cross. Here they're looking to the end of it. We can look and say, well, here's where the beginning was. Take your Bible. Turn to Hebrews chapter 9, 25 through 28, and we read, Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, speaking of Jesus as the high priest, as the high priest enters into the holy place every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So we see that the the, the age that we see here begins at the cross, and their question is, since they don't truly understand that, so when is the end, the final consummation? When is it done? When will the Messiah set up his kingdom? Well, Jesus is going to answer that, and this is what we're going to look at as we go through all of Matthew 24. So when we begin, we see Jesus answers them in verses 4 with a warning not to be deceived. So again, when will the temple be destroyed? When will your return be? When will you come and judge all nations? In verse 4, we see Jesus begins to answer. See that no one leads you astray. Do not be deceived. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of war. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. What is he telling us? He's telling us that there are going to be two constant things that point to the end of the ages, to that final consummation, to that final return of Christ. There's two things. The first one is world suffering. He says there will be many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. You'll see famines and things of that nature. First off, the first thing you're going to see is that there's going to be false messiahs. There were several self-proclaimed messiahs several years after the resurrection, including in 46 AD and even in 70 AD when John of Gilshell came. And Simon bar Koba, probably the most famous in 135 A.D., all Jewish men claiming to be that Messiah. There have been at least 21 self-proclaimed Messiahs in the 20th century alone, including people like David Koresh and Jim Jones. He says there's going to be a constant, and you can rest assured what's going to be constant in this time is do not be deceived. There will be false messiahs, people who proclaim to be the Christ, but do not be deceived, for they are not the Christ. The second constant that we see in world suffering is there's going to be man-made disasters. War and conflict. Now, I took some time this week, and uh, not lack of anything better to do, but I went and counted up all the wars there have been. And listen to this, and I could be a plus or minus Probably 100 on either side. But I've counted there have been over 1,044 major wars since 43 A.D. And there have been over 32 conflicts, not wars, but just conflicts that have averaged over 1,000 deaths per year since 1948. What's the constant? Wars. War has been with us from the time of Cain and Abel. Or we could even say Adam and Eve as soon as they started warring against each other, blaming it on one another. But what we see is that there's always gonna be false messiahs. There are always going to be war and conflict as long as we are filled with sinful humans. The third constant, or the third world suffering, is the natural disasters, earthquakes and famines. According to Roger Bilham at the University of Colorado Department of Geological Sciences, over 8 million people have died over the last 2,000 years of earthquakes. 8 million people. While during the 20th century, 20th century alone, an estimated 20 million people died from famines across the world. What do we see here? is that there are some things that are gonna be constant. We are always gonna be in a state of flux. We're gonna be a state in which there's war, in which there's famines and earthquakes, when the world seems topsy-turvy. And we live in that type of world, don't we? What was common then is still common today. We think so many times that our world is so much different from theirs, but in many realities, it's not. But what we have to understand is in verse 8, we find a key thought. Look at verse 8. Verse 8, Jesus said, All these are but the beginning of birth pains. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. Labor and childbirth is often pictured in the Bible for suffering. In Romans 8.22, we see that creation is suffering in childbirth. It says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. What? Waiting for that day of redemption. We see that believers, all those that God has called, in Romans 8.23, the next verse says, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown Inwardly, As we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Or in Micah chapter 4, where we see that childbirth is given for judgment for sin as you wait for that judgment. In other words, what he's saying is he's giving us a picture here of his coming. He's saying the destruction of the temple and my return and my coming is like childbirth. And what you're going to do is you're going to see the beginnings of labor. In other words, I am not returning soon. There will be an unexpected delay. Have you ever had that? It says, I'm not returning real soon. You expect me to come right now. And we see that if we turn to Acts, you'll see that they thought Jesus was coming right quick. See, they didn't understand his death and all that, but then after his resurrection and after spending 40 days on the earth, before he's rising to the sky, going back to heaven, they say, well, when is all the end of the come? Are you ready now? No. There will be an unexpected delay. I'm not returning now. It's going to be like childbirth. Now, men, we probably don't understand this as well as some of you ladies that have given birth. Uh, though we've kind of experienced it on the other side, giving childbirth, what happens is all of a sudden, you know, a woman, for the most part, doesn't have a child just like that. But for the most part, it's a long, uh, hence we use the word labor, it's a long process, is it not? It starts small and it increases with frequency and pain. And so, what he's saying here is, my coming will be like a long childbirth. There'll be some beginning pains. There'll be things that say, oh, it's coming soon, but it's not yet here. And he says, the wars and the rumors of the wars, the famine and the earthquakes, these are the very things that make people think, oh, then he must be coming soon. But what you find is, when things are going bad, what is it? People think he's returning. World War I, they thought it was the end times. This was the great war to end all wars. But did it? Now, 20 years later, what happened? World War II, again, Adolf Hitler, he must be the Antichrist. He must be the one. This must be when Christ is returning. But yet here we see 50, 60 years down the road, he's not here. So what he's saying here is do not be deceived. See that no one leads you astray. This will be a constant. You will live through these times. Wars, and rumors of wars, earthquake, famines. Seems like every time that there's a natural disaster, you have people coming out of the woodwork. Oh, the second coming's coming. The second coming's coming. Do not be deceived. So what we're seeing here, he says, there's going to be an unexpected delay. I am not coming to set my kingdom yet. There is a beginning and we're going to look as we go through here how it finds its way through. First constant that we see is that there's world suffering. We saw that in verses 5 through 7. The second constant is we're going to see church suffering or persecution of believers in verses 9 through 12. Look at with me Matthew chapter 24 as we look at verses 9. Jesus continues to say, "Then they will deliver you up to tribulation, And they will put you to death and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. I think this right here is probably a more terrible indicator than the previous ones. THE OTHER ONES WERE THINGS FOR THE MOST PART THAT ARE OUT OF OUR CONTROL AND FOR THE MAJORITY OF US THEY DON'T TOUCH US IN OUR everyday LIVES OTHER THAN ONCE IN A WHILE BUT IN THIS ONE WE SEE SOMETHING THAT'S A LITTLE BIT MORE PERSONAL WE SEE THAT THE CHURCH OR THE ELECT THOSE BELIEVERS WILL SUFFER FROM PERSECUTION NOW WE HAVE TO REMEMBER PERSECUTION IS NOT SOMETHING THAT JUST HAPPENS TODAY IT IS SOMETHING THAT HAS HAPPENED FROM THE BEGINNING OF THE church. In Acts chapter 4, the first 30 verses, we see the persecution. In chapter 7, verses 59 through third verse of chapter 8, we see persecution. And in Acts chapter 12, we see persecution. Stephen became the first martyr for his testimony about Christ. The second thing that they will suffer from is apostasy. In 2 Timothy 4.9, we see where Demas leaves the church. And apostasy is those who say they believe, but yet then turn away from the faith. Now, I want to tell you here, apostasy is not someone who was a true believer and left it, but it's someone who never was a Christian. We see in 1 John 2.18 and 2 John verse 7, deception follows in the church. He says there will be false prophets or even antichrist inside your churches that will be preaching a different message. And I have to tell you as today we sit and we talk about God's word and preach from it, there'll be many today who will be standing in pulpits and will be preaching a different gospel. They will be antichrist. Those that oppose the very word of God even though they claim to be Christian As we'll see, the church will also suffer from a hardness of heart. They'll be like Diotrephes from 3 John verse 3 who want to have preeminence and who wanted to be the boss so much that his heart was hardened towards the gospel or anybody who was coming to the church. What we're seeing is that throughout history that people will fall away because of persecution, being deceived by others, and a lack of love for Christ and his word. It was very true in that first century, church, and it's very true today. We have the same constant. Not only world suffering, but persecution. I read somewhere this week, I did not get the numbers, but it was saying that in the fact that there has been more persecution in the 20th century alone than all of history combined. Today there are churches in China, in Korea, in India, in Muslim lands that are facing persecution. Just this past week in Egypt, Egyptians were being burned out of their homes, their churches are destroyed and being thrown in prison for their faith. We haven't seen that to that degree here, but we do see persecution all around us. And a persecution that may happen here in our state and in our country is a little bit more subtle. But we see that people fall away. And that goes back to what we learned in Matthew earlier where the church will be a mix of believers and unbelievers. Christ makes a promise to those who endure he says even though that there will be world suffering and even though there'll be persecution for those that are of the church, he says that there's a promise in verse 13. You see, the first two, it's pretty hard to look at. It can be very discouraging, but he's giving us a word of encouragement. He says, and because lawlessness in verse 12 will increase, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Amen? God has a promise for us. He said, in this world, there will be wars. There will be natural disasters. Your churches, the elect, the believers will suffer. But let me give you a promise. Even while I wait, even as I delay my return, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He says, I am making a place for you. And if I'm making a place for you, I will come again and I will gather you to myself. And he says with that, I will not leave you. I will come for you. D.A. Carson writes in his commentary on Matthew that part of the effect of tribulation is to purify the body of professed believers. And I believe that's so true. Whether it's in this world or in this century or any other century, is that God uses the refining fire of persecution and suffering to weed out those that are not truly Christians. I believe we saw that three years ago in some regards. You'll see those who are truly believers and those who aren't. Or those who say they truly believe in the word of God and those don't. All of us could say, oh, we would believe in forgiving each other. But yet it really tells if we have the heart of God is when we truly do forgive. Even when it's difficult to do so. When we love when it's difficult to do so. See, many of you here, but what if you were here and it cost you something to be here, more than just your time or your energy? What if it cost you some liberty? What if it cost you some of your freedoms? Would you still be here today? But there's a promise. Revelation chapter 2 John writes, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Or in 1 John where he writes, who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. See, there's a promise. God says, if you trust in me, I will preserve you. Now that doesn't mean that you will not die. It does not mean that you will not suffer. It doesn't mean that you won't go through tribulations and life will not be hard. But what he says is I will help you see it through. And if you die prematurely, according to us, not according to God, but if I die in that suffering or that trial, that persecution, I still will be saved. But if I'm able to hold on to when Christ comes to set up his kingdom, I true then will be saved saved. See, that's God's promise. That's where He says, no one will snatch them out of my hand. Those that truly belong to me. Now we see some constants. We see the beginning of childbirth. Again, in other words, it says it's coming, but it's not yet. We still have some time. And that's what was kind of blowing their mind. There is an unexpected delay. They did not see what we call the church age. They did not understand that the Messiah is not setting up his personal kingdom on the earth yet. He says some things must happen first. But he does give in verse 14 a little bit more of an indicator that we can have, because we can always say there's always been wars and conflicts. There's always been natural disasters. The church has been struggling since its inception. But look at verse 14. As he goes on, Jesus says, in answer to their question, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. Now, I have to admit, this is a tough phrase. I ask myself a question, what does it mean throughout the world? I mean, how in the world can we tell when the Bible or when the gospel has gone throughout the whole world? Well, I'm not sure if I know that complete answer, but I can tell you where it began with. It began with the Great Commission. In Acts chapter 1, He says, so when they had came together, this is after the 40 days of Jesus' resurrection. After his resurrection, I should say. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? That was on the disciples' mind. They could not get past that. And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. In other words, in Matthew 28, we see it, 19 and 20. Go ye therefore into all the world, baptize and teach and make disciples. The commission began then. And we see from that time as we go on to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, as they waited for the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit came to them with great power, and 3,000 souls were saved. And then as we continue at the end of chapter 2, where the Lord added daily, and you just see how the Word of God is spread. But what was difficult, when do we know when it's been throughout the world? And I'll have to say, to be honest, I don't know when we can say that. Paul, interesting enough, turn to Colossians chapter 1, if you would. What does it mean when he says this gospel would be spread throughout the whole world? Paul seems to say that was completed during his time. Look at verse 3 of chapter 1. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in the heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed the whole world. It is bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. Look down in verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So there is a way in which Paul believes that that has happened now for him. He says, well, that has been accomplished. But yet we see that God has not come at this time, so there must still be a future need for it. YOU SEE, EVEN THOUGH THE GOSPEL HAS SPREAD THROUGHOUT THE WHOLE ROMAN EMPIRE AT THAT TIME, AND EVEN THOUGH IT SPREAD, AND WE HAVE MISSIONARIES TO THE FURTHEST REGIONS OF THIS WORLD, THE BIBLE TRANSLATED IN SO MANY LANGUAGES, I BELIEVE THE SPREAD OF THE GOSPEL IS STILL NEEDED. LET ME SAY IT AGAIN, I BELIEVE THAT THE SPREAD OF THE GOSPEL IS STILL NEEDED. Hence, WHY I THINK IT'S IMPORTANT FOR US AS A CHURCH TO BE A MISSIONARY SENDING CHURCH. And I think we need to be strategic about how we send missionaries. According to Dawn Ministries, research indicates that there are still 6,200 people groups which are unreached. And what that means is that there are people groups that have their own culture and their own language who do not have the presence of a church or a significant Christian community. I mean, there are churches and Bibles everywhere, but there are some places, some people groups in which they have their own language, which yet they have not heard the gospel. So I believe as we look at that indicator, that's one of the things that we should be busy and praying about sending. Sending missionaries to the unreached people group. I think that's so important. As we look through here, the key point, is Jesus is saying, is my return will have an unexpected delay. And we're going to look at it as he puts this out in the rest of the chapter. He's saying, I know that you think that my time, that I'm going to set up my throne, but that's not going to happen for a while. The temple will be destroyed. And I will return, but there's going to be a delay. There are going to be some constants that you're going to have to live with until that time. So don't be deceived. There'll be world suffering and there'll be persecution." So as I look at today, what's our response to word from Christ today? As we look, we're still looking for that second coming. We're looking for that time where that kingdom will be a national or be a land where he will be here and his rule will be on the earth. I believe our response is not to be discouraged, but patient. In 2 Peter he says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. We should not be discouraged, because the Bible tells us that we should be looking for that day. And many times I'll have to tell you, I'm wishing that it was today, I'm wishing that it was soon. Because I don't know about you, but I get tired of the struggle with sin, with sickness, with just the suffering and the pain that's going through. I look forward to the day that I no longer have to prepare a message because we'll all be in the kingdom and we'll all be testifying. We'll all be prophesying and we'll hear from the word of Jesus himself. But until that day, we have a responsibility to share the gospel. Our message is the same. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Come and follow me. My second response is that we're not to be lulled to sleep. We're not to be lulled to sleep, but we're to be active. In Titus chapter 2, we've looked at this several times in this past few months. He says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The temple's been destroyed. We are now in the beginnings of that birth pains. We today are to be looking for that second coming of Jesus Christ. Don't be lulled to sleep. Don't be thinking, I've got plenty of time. Don't be thinking, well, everybody keeps talking about it, but it's not here. You need to understand the signs of the times, the scripture says, and recognize that each day is a closer day. That kingdom of God is in our hearts, and we're looking for that day when it'll be truly manifested here. So I pray that you would just rejoice with me in the fact we're not to be discouraged, but patient, and not to be lulled to sleep by the delay in his return but to be active, doing the job he sent us out to do. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you. Chapter 24 can be very difficult to understand at times. But Father, we just ask for your grace. Lord, in the fact that many times we come with our predisposition and preconceived ideas of what is going to happen, we get reminded here by the disciples that many times we do not see in the same way that you do. And just as the disciples could not see an unexpected delay, many times, Lord, we do not see your moving in the age today. But I pray that we'd not be lulled to sleep. Lord, I pray that we would see that you have us here on earth to accomplish your purpose. Let us not be discouraged by the constant suffering, the war, the persecution that happens. But, Lord, may that just help us to be more aware. May we be more encouraged to share your gospel with those, knowing, Lord, that's your calling for us. In your name we pray. Amen.
0: We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you.